Yes, yes, yes. I'm back again with a new episode of the Format Podcast. So I'm not even going to keep you waiting. Let's get to it. Sit back, relax, and listen up to episode 31 of the Format. So here I am, folks. I promised you guys a surprise. And joining me today is a special guest. This is John Kennedy, host of the Always Irish podcast. John, how you doing? I'm doing well, my friend. Thank you for inviting me on. I know this is something we've been trying to plan for a while. So what a perfect time for me to join you right before football really wraps up. So this is fantastic. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, coming in and joining me on the format. Anyone who listens to this show and really anyone who knows me knows that I have been a diehard Notre Dame football fan since 1992. I try to be objective with it on the show, but I'm uh, I'm pretty excited today. And uh, if you can't tell and uh, for you listeners out there, I know you guys can't see me. I'm actually wearing my uh, Under Armour Notre Dame Fighting Irish football T-shirt while I uh, talk to John here today. So. We're going to go ahead and, and get it going, um, talking about this upcoming season. And for me, I think one of the biggest questions I had coming in was, I've noticed that Notre Dame, I've seen uh, since the end of last season and coming into this season, I've seen them ranked on numerous different polls, anywhere between about 10 and 5, I guess. So I was wondering, with them having lost so much talent to the NFL, I believe 10 total players, uh, 6 drafted, 4 undrafted free agents, how are they able to be ranked so highly coming into this season? I, I you know, I just think it's, it's a couple factors that make perfect sense the way things are with the media and everything else. One is Notre Dame's a big name no matter what. So even in down years, Notre Dame usually gets a little bit of a boost in that initial poll because they're Notre Dame. Notre Dame, you might hate them. You might say they can't win the big game, but they bring – butts and seats and eyeballs into TV. So that's number one. And then number two is the last two years, I mean, Notre Dame's won 10-plus games and been a really solid team, despite what happened against Clemson in the playoff. Them coming off two years where they won 10-plus games, it really doesn't surprise me that they're going to be somewhere in that, you know, 6-10 to 10 range to start out the year. So combining those two things, that, that really doesn't surprise me at all. It, it really doesn't. Okay, so let's play a little bit of revisionist history. This is not something you and I had talked specifically about, but as you mentioned the uh, Notre Dame's first college football playoff appearance last year, and they got blasted 30-3 uh, to by eventual national champion Clemson. If Julian Love doesn't get hurt, our All-American defensive back, in the first half of that game, and then his replacement gets basically cooked for the rest of the half, do you think there's any difference at all in how that game turns out? I don't think Notre Dame wins, but do you see it being more competitive? I, I'm fine saying it would be more competitive. Um, but I push back on people, Notre Dame fans, who keep saying that game was way closer than it was, and if Julian Love doesn't get hurt, well, you know what? My answer is have a quality backup that doesn't get posted. 
that's a part of being a good team, too, in a playoff team, is having quality depth. So I struggle with some of this trying to find ways to make me feel better that we got blasted in front of America 30-3. to uh, So, yes, I do think it would have been a different game. No, I don't think Notre Dame would have won it because uh, there were other problems. But it would have been more competitive. Um, so if that makes you feel better as Notre Dame fan to say, go ahead. But at the end of the day, 30-3 to is 30-3. Correct. And I don't feel better about it because it's 30-3, to and nobody wants to hear you when you've lost your three biggest big-time games, Alabama on the big stage, mm-hmm. Ohio State on the big stage, yep. Clemson on the big stage. Yep. None of them games were close. So nobody wants to hear Notre Dame fans play that game. Well, if one guy doesn't get hurt, you know, the game would have been – even if it's true, nobody wants to hear Notre Dame fans say it. I don't go there. Yes, the gap between us and the elite teams has closed a little bit in terms of talent. But 30-3 to is 30-3. It is. Own it. Own it. Be better and own it. I'm with you 100%. And, um, you know, I, especially living down here, I live in Jacksonville, Florida. So, you know, in the heart of SEC country, it's tough being an Irish fan. I'll tell you what. But, uh oh, <laughs> that's, I bet. That's not going to change anything for me. So um, another thing, let's talk about the state of the skill positions at Notre Dame. So uh, arguably the best big play receiver on the team, Miles Boykin, uh, hero of the Citrus Bowl two years ago, he's gone on to the NFL. And there's not really a lot of names left on the outside at the receiver positions that are well known. Notre Dame is also known for producing outstanding tight end talent. And um, I guess the question would be, what would you say now at this point is the state of the skill positions? Because we've got a very solid quarterback, arguably very good, and I'll kind of get to that a little later, um, in Ian Book. What would you say are the state of his weapons on the outside? So I, I have a few thoughts on that. Um, one is, I think, I honestly think, if the the offense is run correctly, the skill position players have a chance to really surprise a lot of people. I think there's a lot of speed in that receiving core, even among names nobody's even heard of yet, that if used correctly, coinciding with Ian Book's strength, which is short and intermediate pass accuracy, Yes, I could see this receiving core surprising a lot of people. So yes, you lose Boykin, but from all accounts, Chase Claypool is is a leader, and he had a great spring, and he's looking NFL ready. So if you move him into your number one go-to guy, mm-hmm. then you still have reluctable Chris Fink yep. as a slot guy. That's a good start. But then I think you get into these guys that, if used correctly, could open some eyes and burn some people. I'm talking about Lawrence I'm talking about Braden Lindsay. I'm talking about Michael Young. I'm talking about Kevin Austin, if he can stay out of trouble. Those guys all have speed, which is the one thing I've been saying has been lacking from the Notre Dame wide receiving core. And if used correctly, of Ian Book, using his strength, getting the ball to these guys in space, I think you could see a more electric passing game. Now, here's the other part of that. I feel like we've been getting away from the usage of the tight end as a receiving weapon. That's something we need to see. It opens everything else up when you do that. I am expecting Cole Komet to have a big year, and for us to get back to using some of those even two tight end sets, 
we need to see it. Not keeping them in as a blocker. I want to see these guys down the team opening things up as receivers, and I think that's what they want to get back to. The one question mark is this running back situation. I was going to get to that. Right. You don't have you. You don't have Dexter Williams. Right. In the NFL. Right. He's at the Packers. Okay. So that makes me a little nervous. Now, if Jafar Armstrong can stay healthy, which is a question mark for him, he is a suitable, reliable back. But he does not possess that game-changing breakaway speed Dexter Williams had, which is another reason I think it's important to use these receivers as an extension of that running game and get him the ball, let him run in space. I think we're going to need to do that because you're not nobody that's going to play running back this year has that ability that Dexter Williams had to break it like Virginia Tech, 97 yards from the, your own goal line, mm-hmm. change the whole game. We don't have that this year. So that's why I think it's incumbent on those receivers and tight ends to make more plays. That's how I see it. But they got to use it right. Chip Long's got to call game plan that puts these guys in a position for yards after the catch. And I, I, I want to see a more attacking offense. That's what I want to see. And that's something I agree with completely. Um, number one, your mention of the run game. And that was actually my next question because – Dexter Williams, I think, had uh, almost a thousand yards in ten games last year, and he definitely was a home run hit, uh, much the way uh, Josh Adams was in the previous season. Now, along with the running game, especially as you mentioned that Jafar Armstrong is not that threat to be a home run hitter. I think I read also that Notre Dame, in addition to having a lot of the big chunk plays in the run game last year also was one of the worst teams in the country in terms of getting hit behind the line of scrimmage and losing yards in the run game. So Bruce, how do Bruce, we – yes. 20, 25% of Notre Dame's running plays last year went for zero or negative yards. Exactly. Right. And, and now that offensive line was good enough to win 12 games. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you can't say that they're bad. But that's another area where that group needs to improve because 25, one out of four run plays can't be stopped for nothing. You're putting yourself behind the marker before you even start a series. Correct. So they, that group needs to, to come together a little bit. I'm expecting more out of them as well. Okay. And I, I like that. you. This is great. I'm, I'm really enjoying talking to you here, as you can probably tell. Um, now, back to the receivers and some comments you made earlier about the passing game. What I've noticed in the time that Brian Kelly has been at Notre Dame, for the most part, they're not an over-the-top, downhill, uh, uh, attacking team in the pass game. Now, I don't know if that's a function of the talent that's available or a function of his style of coaching. I didn't really watch him at Grand Valley State or at Cincinnati. But it seems to me he throws a lot of uh, wide receiver screens, a lot of passes to the flat. And those, for me personally, as a football fan, are things I never liked because Unless you break them, there's not generally a big game. And now that could also be to supplement, you know, running games that were not as strong in previous years. So you said that you want to see more of them being attacking and aggressive. Do you presume that there will be more of that or is that just something you want to see? If there isn't, then we've been lied to because both Brian Kelly and offensive coordinator Chip Long have repeatedly stated the next step for this offense is more explosive plays in space. Okay. Now, they, they, it's one thing for them to tell me it, but until I see it, I don't believe it. Okay, so it, it does comfort me 
that these guys seem to acknowledge we need to see more explosive uh, plays, but I, I got to see it happen for me to believe it. So, uh, and the other issue with this is Ian Book is God bless him. He's a tough kid. He's the, the prototypical Notre Dame quarterback. Mm-hmm. So good looking, you know, uh, really accurate. But the one thing he doesn't have is a mega arm. No, he does he not. He doesn't have. He doesn't have a Kyler Murray type arm to take the top off. That is something they've been working on with him um, to be able to keep defenses honest by opening it up over the top. Can he do it or not? I don't know. Because to a large degree, I think natural gifted arm strength is something you either kind of have or you don't have. Absolutely. And not only not only the arm, but the accuracy. And so those are things I'm waiting to see. We know he's going to be a really accurate passer, intermediate and short. I got to see that's, again, one of the next steps. Can they take the top off? I'm telling you there are receivers with the speed to get behind defenses. But if you can't connect, they're not going to have to respect it. So that's something to keep an eye on, too. Okay. So now let's flip to the other side of the ball. Um, we saw a number of losses on the defensive side of the ball. All-American defensive tackle Jerry Tillery has gone. Uh, Drew Tranquil has gone. All-American defensive back Julian Love is gone, among others. What do you see the defense doing in terms of being able to maybe not necessarily flat out replace that level of talent, but do a good job of, uh, you know, stepping into those shoes? What do you see? I know, as I mentioned, Jerry Tillery's gone, and I believe there's an injury to the other defensive tackle. How are we going to stop the run, rush the passer, and then defend the pass? I guess overall, how are we going to defend with such a loss of talent on the defensive side of the ball? Bruce, this is probably my number one concern overall looking at the roster long-term for this year because what I see is I see I just feel like the middle of our defense is going to be vulnerable, especially early in the year. You lose Jerry Tillery. Mm-hmm. Then on the next level, you lose Drew Tranquil. Yep. Okay, and you lose Tavon Coney. I then forgot about Coney, you're right. Yeah. You, lose, you lose Love. On the back end. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now what I see is not only your physical leaders in terms of playmaking on all three levels are gone, but I also see that those were all emotional leaders of this team. Okay? And so that makes me nervous, especially the linebackers. We're pretty much starting from scratch. There's nobody there that I trust. Uh, Khalid Kareem. Yeah, but I don't really count him as a linebacker. You know, and, and I think he's a really good hybrid. He can play that outside linebacker spot as well as he can line up on the end. And he may be the one guy that we know of for sure that can provide us some pass rush. See, that was the next thing I was going to get to is, with those vulnerabilities, we need to make sure we put our strength on defense, which is a kind of our, our defensive, the outside of that defensive line is, so deep. I mean, Khalid Kareem is, that's an NFL player. Julian mm-hmm. Aquara, that's an NFL player. I love those guys. Those guys are elite. Those guys are day one or two NFL picks for sure. And the guys behind them are even good. I like what Adam Amola brings. I like what Dalen Hayes brings, okay? Mm-hmm. So, so that defensive end is the deepest that I've seen Notre Dame be in, in years. Like, I, I just don't remember seeing them with that much talent. And, but the problem is, if that's on the outside, 
I, I could see teams doing everything they can to just go up the middle and try and run at that place where Terry Tillery used to be. Right. And then try and get to the level where we have inexperienced linebackers. So that's the big vulnerability there is right up the middle. I'm nervous about it. I, 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 Kurt Heinisch at the nose guard, that makes me nervous. And then behind him, you got Jacob Lacey, who's a freshman. That makes me nervous. Uh, Myron Tagovailoa-Amosa coming off an injury, okay, at the deep tackle position. So the middle of that defense is what I'm looking for. And, and i got to figure out in, in games one and two what we have or what needs to be changed before we go to ask. And so I'm looking at that middle of the defense nervously the first couple of games, trying to figure out what we have going into Georgia. It makes me nervous. And that's kind of what I was alluding to in the opening question, I guess, in terms of, you know, them being uh, ranked high, even with the amount of talent that was lost. I actually talked recently to a Bleacher Report college football writer, and I asked him the same question. And he looked at me and he said, listen, Notre Dame's got talent. They have a lot of talent. And don't be surprised if they go down to Georgia and, you know, they play really well. So I guess moving from that comment to kind of my next thought, he said to me, don't be surprised if they go down to Georgia and play really well. Well, I'm tired of that. When Jameis Winston was in college, this is, I guess, four, five years ago now, they went down to Florida State, played really well, couldn't get it done at the end. I think three years ago, they went to Clemson, uh, lost by two points in, in the monsoon, basically, at the end, played them really close, you know, uh, outstanding game. Um, uh, two years ago, at Notre Dame, they lose by a point to Georgia, who was national championship runner-up. Okay, we have showed that in spots, we can play with the big boys, those teams that are physically elite and elite in terms of coaching. But it's time now that we start getting those wins against these elite programs. How do you think that's going to be able to come about? I mean, how close do you think we are? It's, I've been thinking a lot about this. Uh, there's, no, there's no doubt to me that the recruiting operation at Notre Dame has improved. You know, uh, after mm-hmm. 2016, when they went 4-8, and eight, I was saying, if you're going to bring Brian Kelly back after this, a lot of things need to change, like big-picture, behind-the-scenes program-type stuff. And one of them was that recruiting operation needed to ramp up and get some more talent. They have done that, and they are doing that. The 2020-2021 classes are really uh, a step up from what we've been used to seeing with Brian Kelly. And and so Notre Dame's never going to recruit like Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia or Clemson. They just, they're not going to get the freedom to get all those kids into the school there. It's a different challenge for exactly. Notre Dame. It just is. Exactly. It just is. And so... It's tricky because you look at this, here's what I'll say. When's the last time Notre Dame went out and won a big game? Nobody thought they were going to win. What was it, at Oklahoma Oklahoma. in 2012? Yep, that was the one. I remember Mark May said that Notre Dame would not get off the bus for that game. Sorry? That's a long time ago. Yeah. And and so I think people are kind of ready. You know, like we, we need to, I'm like you, I'm sick of it being close. I'm sick of people saying we played people tough. I'm sick of people saying if one thing went the other way, it could have been different. We're almost 10 years into Brian Kelly here. I don't think it's wrong of us to hope to see us knock off some big teams. We're not expected to win once in a while. George is your next chance. You should have no problem with Louisville rebuilding, burning it all to the ground, and then, God forbid, Bob Davies with New Mexico, okay? So Georgia is what I'm circling. 
that is going to tell me, are you reloading or are we rebuilding again? And those are two vastly different tracks, okay? So that's what I'm looking at, reloading versus rebuilding. Go win a big game you're not supposed to win. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Here's a question. We mentioned uh, quarterback Ian Book earlier. Now, uh, sitting behind him is uh, prep phenom from the state of Pennsylvania, uh, Phil Djokovic. Let's just say, God forbid, Ian Book goes down with injury. Is Djokovic ready to step in and really be the guy and be effective, not just be a game manager? This is, um, this is something else I've been struggling with. Uh, you know, I have my people that are at practice and tell me stuff and how people look and what's going on. I, for as much hype as Phil had coming in, I had kind of hoped he would have progressed to the point where he could legitimately kind of push Book um, for this role this year. Uh, Phil is Phil is a lot more athletically gifted naturally than Book. He's yeah. bigger, got a stronger arm. He's he's an athletic freak. I had kind of hoped by now he could, if not win the job, at least push Book a little bit. And I just haven't seen or heard that that has happened and I'm nervous about it you know uh, nobody loved Brandon Wimbush as the starter but he was a hell of a backup over the mm-hmm. I don't think we have that luxury this year and it makes me really nervous because I, I do not trust from what I've seen and heard from Phil that if we need him I, I, that makes me really nervous I just think he should be a little further ahead than where he is in his development and that's just me I've heard Brian Kelly's messing with his arm motion, and then he kind of went down because Kelly wanted to change things, and it wasn't his natural stroke. And So that makes me incredibly nervous. That's kind of what I was going to get into next was, do you think the issues are more physical with him or uh, mental in terms of his command of the offense and understanding what's going on in the playbook and what he's seeing on the field defensively? I, I think it's probably a little bit of both, but I'll tell you this. If I'm a quarterback that everybody wanted and everybody was recruiting, I lit it up through high school, won everything you could win, mm-hmm. and then I get here and I'm trying to adjust to life as a student in Notre Dame, learn all the plays but and how that all goes mentally, and then I got a guy saying, even though you want everything there is to win in high school, I'm going to change your motion. You're putting a lot on the kick, okay? And... It's a lot to ask, and so it makes me a little nervous when you're messing with a guy's throwing motion that was good enough for him to get recruited by everybody in America. He gets here, and now you want to change it. That's one more thing for him to have to worry about. So I, I'm anxious if we need to go down the backup role of what we're going to get. I, I just am. Hmm. Yeah, that's something that uh, I definitely have some concern over, too. I'm hoping that he can be the guy I don't at all think it's a Trevor Lawrence situation or even a Jake Fromm situation, but uh, hopefully we won't have to find out this year. Um, And again, that same uh, Bleacher Report writer that I spoke to spoke very highly of uh, Ian Book, and he said for a collegiate quarterback, he's a great quarterback. I thought great was strong, but it was very interesting to, you know, see a writer in this part of the country, you know, national or not, a college football writer use the word great to describe Ian Book. But you know it's tough. It's tough because Book is he's he's maximizing what correct the gifts are that he has. He's just not Lawrence. He's not Tyler Murray. He's not Prom. He's just he's limited in some of those areas, which is why I'm saying 
use that speed at receiver to maximize what Buck's good at. If it's an, I want, like you said, I'm done with a 10-yard fade to the out-of-bounds line. I want an 8-yard in-cut over the middle of the field, hit a guy in stride, let him run 30 yards. Right. I want to see more of that. Haven't seen that, that much since Will Fuller the fourth, strength. I think. It, it, so I, I'm book is great for what he is, but he's just physically limited. He doesn't have that huge mega arm. And you know what makes me nervous? You're talking about needing a backup. Ian Book likes to fucking and run, and he's good at it. But that's how yeah. you take a shot to the ribs, and then you're out of the week. You know, and so that makes it. It just makes me nervous. I wish I had more confidence. Bill was further along. Uh, it, it, it's just not there yet. Okay. So, tell me, uh, how do you see the two games, two major games this year, how do you see the Georgia game as well as the Michigan games playing out this year, both on the road, uh, both against quality opposition with excellent talent? What do you see in each of those? I think, you know, obviously being on the road is, is a big deal. Um, it, it is in college in college football. Uh, what I see is going down to Georgia. There, there's no. I'm a, I'm a diehard Notre Dame fan, but I am smart enough and objective enough to sit back and look at the roster and know they have more speed, they have more athleticism, they have more depth than we have. Georgia has been recruiting unbelievably well the last few years. They are loaded with talent and athleticism and depth. You are going into that game knowing that that's the situation. Okay, so. Would I pick Notre Dame to win? Absolutely not, because Brian Kelly hasn't proven he could beat a team with elite talent right. in, what, seven years. So yeah. how can I, as much as I love Notre Dame, I can't pick them to win that game. Now, do I hope they find a way to do it? Yes. Now, the Michigan game, that's a different situation. You should win that game. Uh, I'm not buying the Michigan hype machine every year it's ramped up. It's based in no facts. Uh, they don't win big games either, and they, they're they in a similar situation to Notre Dame. They lost all their big stars on defense, and they have an offense that they hope takes the next step this year under year two of a new quarterback. So I don't buy into that one as much as Georgia. I think you should go to the big house and get a win. I really do. Wow. I think that, uh, objectively speaking, I unfortunately don't expect Notre Dame to go into Georgia's backyard and pull that one out either. Again, I would love to see it, being the fan that I it's am. It's frustrating, though. I mean, you're, you're speaking the truth, and so am I as objective college football guy. But at the same time, then you have to ask yourself, is that where we should be after 10 years? That we're just expecting a loss, you know, because it's Georgia and SC. That's a different discussion to have, a bigger picture discussion. Right. But I can't disagree with you. Looking at the talent, they just have more talent and depth. Yeah, that just the reality. Yeah, that Georgia program was built in the model of Alabama and built to match up with and hopefully at some point defeat Alabama. So it, it would be tough to see Notre Dame going down there, especially with so much youth going down there and winning that game in, in those hostile confines. And again, that depth is, is what the real difference is when I look at Notre Dame against the Clemsons, against the Bamas. Those level of teams, their third stringers can start for a lot of, you know, uh, uh, mid-level programs. And that's scary. That's scary. But the Michigan game really looks like a toss-up to me. Um, I do believe that Harbaugh is an outstanding coach. Other than Michigan, he has been excellent everywhere he's been. 
And uh, I, I know you're not a hardball guy. Um, I know you think that no, he's a, wait, a lot of... Now, wait. I, I, okay, I, I hate Michigan. There's no doubt about that. Right. He's a, good, he's a good coach. He's a very good coach. He's way above average. But he isn't great. He's never won anything in college football. So I can't call him great. when he, he lose, He's like Brian Kelly. They lose every big game they're in. So until he starts beating Ohio State, mm-hmm. until he quits losing to Michigan State, mm-hmm. until he beats Notre Dame, those are the only games that matter on the Michigan schedule. By rosters alone, they have the second most talent in the Big Ten behind Ohio State. Right. They should be able to roll the ball out and beat eight or nine of those other Big Ten teams. Until he gets over that hump, I'm not buying it. And, and so I just think they're in a similar position to Notre Dame. They're replacing a lot of studs on defense and they have a, a young, growing offense. And I see a lot of parallels there. I, I just can't buy into them as, as high level yet. I just can't do it. Prove it. Prove it, and I'll, and I'll respect it. That's, that's, a, that's a very fair take. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but his numbers against top 10 teams are terrible um, at Michigan. And as for his time at Stanford, I would have seen it being very difficult for him to win at an extremely high level there. Stanford suffers from kind of the same things in terms of academic restrictions that Notre Dame does. Yeah, that's, but, perfectly, that's perfectly fair. And the other thing is, Harbaugh's personality, he's a weirdo. He's just a weird... <laughs> I've heard that. He's a weirdo. I've heard that. He's a total weirdo. And, and his personality wears on people. That's why I don't think as good of a coach as he is, he doesn't stick around places long. Because his personality grinds people down, even their own people. He grinds them down because he's just such a weird cat. He's just a weird dude. I've I've heard and read that. I've heard and read that. But um, back to Notre Dame, Michigan. This series, that's kind. Of, this season, excuse me. That's just kind of a toss up for me. I can't really. I guess I got to see a couple of games and see how they both look. As of right now, that's that's kind of a pick 'em. I guess one of the biggest things for me there is it is on the road. Notre Dame is a young team uh, and the big house is a tough place to play in. If both teams are playing well by that point, it'll probably be a night game. So all those things you take no, you, into account. You know it's going to be a night game. Mm-hmm. You know what's the big thing to look for with Michigan, Bruce? They play Army early in September. Watch out for that game. The way Army will eat up the clock like Navy does. Watch out for that game with, with Michigan. I think that could be a real surprisingly stressful afternoon for Michigan. Nothing against Michigan, but just the way Army plays and early in the year, look out for that. I, that, that is a scary game for them very early in September. I'm, I got my eyes on that. Well, you know what? I didn't realize that was on Michigan's schedule, but I'll tell you what. I do have uh, some bias towards Army. Uh, I am an Army veteran myself, so I definitely have a bias towards them. And just looking at what they were able to do, nearly upsetting Oklahoma at Oklahoma last season, uh, you can expect Army to do everything they're supposed to do very well with a high level of discipline, limit the penalties, tackle, block, run, and catch. Those four things that the game of football is built on and to execute their offense extremely well. So, I definitely hear that. I just think, you know, at the end of the day, talent usually overcomes the feisty up-and-comer. It's true, but here's what makes me nervous. That's the same reason that every Notre Dame-Navy game makes me nervous. Yeah. When you play those teams that eat up the clock, 
your margin for error gets lessened, okay, because you're going to have less possession, especially early in the year. Michigan's got a new offensive coordinator. They're working some things out, and then you're not going to get as many chances with the ball against Army. That's where I think this can blow up on you if you're not careful. A couple little mistakes on offense, and before you know it, you're not getting the ball back. And and so that's – it's going to be – I'm – I got my eyes on that, so it, it, that's going to be an interesting ball game. That's fair. That's fair. So the last thing I'm going to bring up with you is this is an argument I've had with numerous people from uh, different conferences. I want you, for me, to refute the argument that Notre Dame should join a conference. I constantly hear, join a conference, then we'll see what you really are, or join a conference and stop whining or, you know, all sort of variations of Notre Dame should join a conference. Make the argument for me why they should not. Okay. Well, there, this is, there's a couple different ways to approach this philosophically, okay? Now, here's, here's number one. For, for all these people that were mad Notre Dame got in last year and because they weren't a conference champion, that argument is automatically invalid because there have been other teams in the playoffs already that have not won their conference. <laughs> so automatically, that argument's invalid. So anyone who says that, they just hate Notre Dame, but other teams have been in without winning a conference. So don't tell me that's a special exemption for Notre Dame. That's simply not true. So that argument's automatically totally invalid, factually. Okay? But here's the tricky part. If you hate Notre Dame and you're mad they made the playoff last year, the argument should be Stay independent. And the reason why is, I'm a firm believer Notre Dame needs to go undefeated to make the playoff in the current format. I think an 11-1 Notre Dame sitting at home week 13 gets jumped in almost every scenario except for something extreme where a bunch of teams end up with two losses. So it is a harder path, not easier, for Notre Dame to make the playoff as an independent because I firmly believe until shown otherwise they got to go 12-0. and 0. And now, now you're going to hear, John, a couple years ago after that close loss to Georgia, Notre Dame was third in the initial playoff rankings. The initial playoff rankings, not the last one. I don't care about the early one. I think Notre Dame gets jumped at 11-1 in the current format. So for Notre Dame, it is a harder path being an independent. Okay, I firmly believe that. So anybody who thinks, oh, Notre Dame got in easy because they're independent, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. You should want it. In a conference, you can afford to lose a stupid game and still get away with it and be in contention for a playoff. Notre Dame doesn't have that. Look at Ohio State. They got housed by Purdue, who ended up with five or six losses. It still ended up in contention for a playoff spot. If Notre Dame loses the game by that much to anybody, they're totally out of it. Okay, so that's one argument that makes no sense to me. It is harder for Notre Dame as an independent. Now, Getting into this conference thing, Notre Dame just doesn't want to do it, and I don't want them to do it. It would mean less to me if Notre Dame won a title as a member of a conference full-time. We don't want to do that. We value our independence. Notre Dame's the only team that's ever gone to L.A., New York, and Chicago in a year to play a game, and they've done it eight times. Wow. That is something we value. That is something we – that is a part of our identity. Is New Rockney taking that train full of guys all over? Going out to the West Coast to play USC by train. Going down south. Going to New York to play Army. Those are our roots. 
Notre Dame doesn't want to give it up. I don't want him to give it up. It would, even though it's harder to make the playoff as an independent, it would mean less to me if we won it as a conference member. It just would. It just would. Those are all great points. One of the ones that I like to bring up the most when I'm arguing this point with people is if you're in a conference and you're a really good team, you have the benefit of dominating a conference if the conference is down. Notre Dame doesn't get that, right? They have their traditional rivalries. Well, now they have the nominal ACC membership where they have to play five Atlantic Coast Conference games per year. But still, they don't get the benefit. They have to play USC every year. USC is not off and down. They got to play Stanford every year. Stanford's always tough. We They have to play Navy every year. Some people are scoffing at that. But with that Navy offense, that triple option, they are difficult to defend and to prepare for. Um, in, you know, varying years, it's Michigan. It's Michigan State, um, you know. So these games that they have to play, there's no, as you said, there's no real margin for error for losing uh, one or two games and still having a chance to get in. And secondly, you can't ride the benefit of having a down conference. You just can't. Not to say Clemson's not great, but really, is the ACC a great football conference? Not really right now, right? We're not no, sure what Miami's going to be. Down. Correct. Clemson to win until they decide not to right now. Right. And there's nobody even there's nobody even close. Exactly. And you know, so that that's kind of my point in terms of the argument yeah, that Bruce, here's the other thing nobody yeah. wants to give Notre Dame credit for. I point this out all the time. The travel's the travel, okay? And nobody wants to hear they don't feel bad for you on a jumbo jet flying all over, okay? Mm-hmm. So you're not gonna get credit for the challenge of flying all over the country. But here's the other thing I point out, nobody wants to credit Notre Dame for. When you do what Notre Dame does, and you're hopping and playing a Big Ten team this week, an ACC team this week, a Pac-12 team that week, a military academy this week, Notre Dame has to prepare for every different style of play. I do not think that gets recognized as a challenge as much as it should. That's it's an outstanding point. playing in the Big 12, where you just know everybody's going to throw it, you prepare for that, and then you, you score 70 points every week and you win. Notre Dame has to prepare for every different style of play in every conference, and they should get credit for that. That's a really great point and something I never even thought about. Thank you for bringing that to nobody my attention. Ever, nobody thinks about that. they got to prepare for every different style of play because mm-hmm. they play a team from almost every conference every year. Yeah, no, that's huge. That That is a great point. Let me uh, let me tell you something you might not have been aware of or you may have um, on a slightly different note. So... Over the last three seasons, the best active coaches in college football against teams that ranked in the final top 25 that year are Dabo Sweeney of Clemson, 14-2, Nick Saban of Alabama, of course, 14-3, and and the third best coach, you want to take a guess? Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly, 8-7. And And it it, it isn't pretty. It isn't pretty, but it's Brian Kelly. (laughs) Right. But I I think it, it says something that he is developing that tough culture there that can that is starting as we discussed earlier to win some of those games but you know we know as Notre Dame fans we want them to win the games you know and for those who hate Notre Dame which there are a whole lot there's there's no excuse there's no making it pretty there's no putting lipstick on the pig we can't get it done yet so hopefully that changes this season um a couple general kind of man you gotta listen I I know that I, I was surprised when I saw that too. And, and what that tells me is there's two guys 
and then a huge drop off, and then a big cluster of good but not great. Yeah. Because Dabo and Saban are, you know, each of them are like fourteen and two or something like that yeah. against those teams, and then you drop all the way down to Brian Kelly, who's just barely five hundred. That shows you where we're at right now. You got the two kings and a huge drop off, and so that that's just where we are. Uh, but it was a little surprising to see Brian Kelly third, even though it's barely five hundred, which nobody likes. Right. I, I think, you know, it's also, to some degree, it's heartening to see that, knowing, as we mentioned ad nauseum, the recruiting challenges that Notre Dame faces, but no one's going to cry for the Irish, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Nobody wants to hear that, but it's definitely a factor. Right. Before I let you get out of here, I want to just touch on two general kind of college football notes. One is, when USC is down, it seems like the entire Pac-12 conference is down, even though... Since Chris Peterson has arrived at Washington from Boise State, he's got them consistently in the top eight, ten teams in the country. Do you see, being a traditional rival of Notre Dame's, do you see USC making a step back up this year? It's, well, first off, the Pac-12 is in a ton of trouble. Um, they, they are really, really struggling as a conference. They've had a, bad, a bunch of bad publicity, bad stuff happening. Um, they're, they're struggling with their revenue and with their TV contracts and all, they're trying to revamp that. They're, they're, they are really, really down as a conference overall the last few years, and it's, and it's exacerbated by them playing all these late-night games with the TV because they're all out west. And, right. And so they, they have a lot of issues as a conference overall. Um, but the, the, here's what I've been saying about USC. I've been saying this on my show. If you're a Notre Dame fan, here's what you should want from USC this year. You should want them to be good enough that they don't fire Clay Helton and hire Urban Meyer. <laughs> right, but which I see coming. But bad, is, but bad enough that they're not a threat to anybody and Notre Dame can still beat them. That, that, that's the sweet spot you should want USC to be in because I'm telling you, I am. it would follow the Urban Meyer pattern perfect to go to somewhere, win, have a bunch of trouble, leave, then go to the next spot, USC is that next spot. So if they bomb out to go 6-6 six and six and they fire Helton, it would not surprise me to see Urban Meyer there, and then everything's changed and you won't beat him again until he retires, okay? Um, so with USC, skill talent out the wazoo. They got those re- that receiving core is unbelievably athletic, but I still think they're struggling to recruit the lines the way that you need to um, to be consistent, and I, I still see that as being an issue, offensive line in particular. And so I think the Pac-12 is going to cannibalize itself like they usually do with a lot of teams that are close enough they knock each other off. Mm-hmm. But that's where I want USC to be. I don't want USC to bomb out because that means they might get a good coach in there. So I, I want them to hang in there at – Eight and four, nine and three, just something good enough to where they don't really matter. We can still beat them, but they're not bad enough. Everybody fire, wants to fire help to get a real guy. So that's where I want USC to be. How it's going to work out, I don't know, but I don't want them to bomb out because they'll go get a better coach and start beating Notre Dame again. I hear that. And so here's my final question. This is more along the lines of the college football playoff. And I've been kind of railing against them for a while now. I really believe that. Uh, six would probably be the perfect expansion. Eight would be really good, but six would be perfect. So my thing is kind of looking at the college football playoff. When that was first set into place, 
one of the things the committee said was that we're going to place a premium on out-of-conference scheduling. Apparently, they left off out-of-conference scheduling unless you're in the SEC because most of those guys schedule at least two cupcakes every year. That's Alabama included. So there's that. And then, you know, also the road out-of-conference scheduling, which also drives me crazy with the SEC because they never play west of Dallas and they never play north of Missouri. Everybody out-of-conference who wants to play an SEC school has to come down here to do it. So it's kind of... You know, looking at it from an outsider's perspective, not an SEC guy, that's totally unfair because every one of these games, if you're the outside team coming in, they're all in the SEC's backyard, right? So they're going to, you know, they're going to have the crowd advantage either way. So the point I'm trying to make is the committee put together some quote unquote standards before even the first playoff happened, but it doesn't seem like they're adhering to anything they put into place and they're not allowing us transparency to know what drives the decision-making process. What do you think about that? Because it drives me nuts. I, I do not, I say this all the time on my show, I do not respect and I do not trust this committee in any way, shape, or form. I do not. What they have built is enough of their bullet point guidelines that week to week they can pick which one they want to say matters and then push the teams that match that one bullet point. So then week to week, month to month, it just changes, and then they grab the one that they want to value that week, and then use that as their reasoning to push certain teams, okay? But here's my overall point with this committee. All of these committee members, most of them, were tied to these major five conferences at mm-hmm. some, in some juncture, okay? What that tells me is humans are human. There's no way you can tell me that if I worked as an athletic director in the Pac-12 for a bunch of years, and they paid me these big salaries, put my kids through school, gave me this nice retirement, there is a 0% chance you could tell me that that person is not a little bit biased who want to represent the, the group that paid for their entire career. Okay, so the idea that they're neutral, I don't buy instantly. There's, I just don't buy it. And I think there's enough flexibility in their guidelines. They can pick and choose what they adhere to or not, and then rationalize it and reason it however they need to. So I do not trust them at all. And that's why in Notre Dame's case, I say you got to go 12-0 and because you might be deserving at 11-1. But if you lose that one, you're giving them a reason to keep Notre Dame out. And I don't trust them. you got to go undefeated or you risk them using the 13th game or whatever you want to use to keep Notre Dame out. So I don't trust the committee as far as I can throw up the NCAA is a total joke as a governing body. I don't respect them at all. They're spineless. They, they can't follow their own rules. They're all over the map with what they enforce, how they do it, who they hammer, who they let walk. So I don't trust any of those people at all. I think it's all a joke, uh, and that's my position on it. I'm with you, and I'm totally frustrated by that, but we probably could uh, do a whole nother show on the college football playoff and the college football playoff committee just by itself. So I am going to use that to wrap this episode of the format. I want to say thank you so much uh, for John joining us here, host of the Always Irish podcast. Before I let you get out of here, uh, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Well, first 
first off, thanks for having me. This was this was a riot. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for three hours about these issues. Um, so thank you for inviting me. Uh, the Always Irish, you can find me on YouTube is where I started. Just type in Always Irish. On Twitter, type in Always Irish. You'll find me there. Uh, if your preferred listening method is iTunes, uh, we're there. Google Play, Stitcher, any of those places. So you can find us, you know, whatever works best for you. You can, you can find us and listen to the show there. And we always love to get new people. I like finding new people that aren't Notre Dame fans that like the show because they give me a unique perspective because they're not in that Notre Dame universe. So I always am welcome to out. We got a couple of Georgia guys that follow every show, and nice. we're building up to that game, and I love that. So the more the merrier. Everybody's welcome. Nice, nice. All right, so um, we are going to call it here again. Thank you so much for joining me, and uh, I definitely look forward to doing this uh, with you a couple more times during the season. Hopefully, we'll get one after the Georgia game, and we'll kind of see where we are scheduling wise from there. But. Um, uh, Thanks, and uh, for all my listeners, appreciate you guys joining me one more time for episode 31. I appreciate it. You know where you guys can find me on Twitter, at Bruce F.A. Hope. That's at Bruce F.A. Hope. You can also find me on Instagram, at The Format Podcast. You can listen to this podcast on anchor.fm forward slash the dash format. You can also find me on iTunes, Google Play, uh and a bunch of other podcast uh, applications. So thank you. Have a great one. I'm out.